Hey there, welcome to the show. This is Beyond Synth. My name is Andy Last. On the program today is Arcade High. Uh, Just a little business to get through. Uh, Please like the Facebook page. It's Facebook slash Beyond Synth Podcast. Is that what it is? It's something like that. It's it's easily found. And also follow me on that. Follow me on Twitter. I am uh, at Andy Last. Now I put out um, a message over the weekend to get people to send in some listener mail. I don't usually do like listener feedback stuff, but I think it's something that I'm going to make a part of the show. However, since this episode was actually running kind of long, um, I'm going to save the viewer mail section for next episode so i've already received some messages from people so if you want to send a message just send a a private private message to the facebook page and i will uh read them on the next episode i've got some sort of fun plans for that so look forward to it so thank you to the people who did write feedback and i did receive several letters and if anybody else out there wants to write in some letters please do um it will be fun And on that note, um, before we talk to Arcade High, we are going to have a little chat with a fellow by the name of Motley Gone, and you're going to find out why right now. I don't necessarily have anything uh, planned to say, but um, what would you want to be referred to as? Do you want me to call you Monty Gone or Monty? Monty. Yeah, that's usually what people call me. Yeah. Do people actually call you Monty on the internet? Yeah. So are you are you like an alias man? I'm an alias man. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't really like my name anyway. So if people are wondering why I'm now speaking to Monty, which is short for Montligon, is that how you say it? Well, you can say it however you like. I will say it Montligon. Anyways, the reason why I'm speaking to you now is because recently I put out a message to people to see if I could find people to help uh, help me edit the podcast. And Monty was kind enough to give me his support, and so he actually helped uh, with the editing of this very episode. And that's that. So that's why you're here. So how are you today? Explain to people who you are. How about that? I'm also a producer, but I'm not. I'm not a big deal. So I decided to uh, do the do a podcast in order to become a big deal. I don't know. Fuck it. <laughs> We're expecting a bio or something. Yes, make one up. What's the meaning behind a monthly gun? On the internet, because I because I'm a product of the internet, you see, I started uh, with the name uh, Montmorency, and people called me Monty. And there's this Finnish guy, this weird Finnish guy, called me um, Montligon one time. I don't I don't even know the context of the situation, but it's like a merging between Monty and Polygon. And I thought it's this sounds like a good name, and I just used it. So it's not really that much of an interesting story. I just used the name some Finnish guy gave me. <laughs> well, we'll spice it up with some explosion sound effects or something. Explosions. Yes, I'll take your story and then I'll just sort of add laser beams in the background and then maybe that'll sort of smooth everything out and make it uh, 
make it more exciting. Well, you can't polish a turd. Well, you can try. Do you have like a SoundCloud and stuff people can uh, check out? Oh, yes, I have a SoundCloud. It's SoundCloud slash Montagon. I was hoping uh, I'd get other producers to check out my stuff and tell me if there's anything wrong with it. From what I can tell you, this scene is, is mostly on Facebook when I expected it to be on a bulletin board or something. Mm-hmm. Usually they're on bulletin boards forums. This is like the only one I've encountered that's on Facebook for some reason. And I don't really like Facebook because, uh, you know, NSA and all that. <laughs> They're going to track Monty down. A forum is pretty cyberpunk. Like when you think about it, a forum is very cyberpunk. Like It's like what you would expect to see on a laptop in a cyberpunk movie. <laughs> like a weird co- community on the internet. But now you just, you have to put your real name up and there's this like web 2.0 bullshit uh you got all these normal people on there it's just sickening I hate it <laughs> people sicken me i agree there's some some goofs out there i mean are you're suggesting then that uh, synthetic should be more representative of uh of the genre that it represents by having everybody uh typing on uh, black screens with uh, green writing shooting up the thing and stuff that sounds massively more appealing to me were you happy with how the matrix trilogy ended no, no. You're 20, so I mean, like, what the hell were you watching when you were a kid? Like, what were what were the kids' programs? I'm out of touch with that stuff. Uh, you know how you you Americans and everything have like Saturday morning cartoons and everything. In Britain, I don't think. Did you just call me an American? You're Canadian. Okay, they're not the same thing. Is this a little difference between Ireland and Northern Ireland or something? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding with you. It's not a. I don't give a fuck. Um, but we are two different places, yes. But we uh, we we all get along. It's a it's an amicable neighborly relationship, I suppose. Like as a producer doing uh, synthwave kind of style music, so what you know, because a, a lot of the like the uh, older dudes, it's just nostalgia because it's actually like from their childhood. So I'm always curious as to how like where younger people find it. Because I I wasn't all that wealthy. I had like hand me downs of Sega Genesis and Sega Saturn, and while everyone else was playing like PlayStation One and PlayStation two or whatever i was like playing a, a sega saturn v- vhs then lasted for a while for me then we could only get vhs tapes and usually what i would when i was young i would just watch loads of vhs tapes of movies i could barely even remember i did see like terminator and and, and all those movies movies of from like the 80s and 90s so i didn't really grow up on the, on the movies of the time i was introduced to like uh house music first and I tried making music that way first. I started making crappy trance music and house music in my bedroom, and I put them on SoundCloud. And then I decided this is this sounds like everything else. I don't want to. I don't want to do this. And then just kind of organically transition to synthwave somehow. I mean, I guess that's an interesting way to look at it too, because I always assume that all the the generations younger than me just have access to all the technology that's there. Because that's the assumption that everybody makes about young people. Like, oh, the iPods today and all this and all that. But I guess you got to remember, too, the budget of the house and shit and the family also comes into play. If there's still people using, like, kind of hand-me-down technology, they're still going to be using some of that older shit. And so maybe they don't have all, like, the the wicked toys of today. Like, I mean, my son's three and he plays fucking PlayStation 4. I mean, like, that's insane to me. I didn't play an Atari until I was, like, seven. Yeah. I was like seven years old and I played a fucking Atari and that thing's a piece of shit, but at the time it was amazing. I feel like an old man. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
I enjoy talking to you because of <laughs> you. Well, you have these sort of pauses of just complete disinterest. <laughs> as far as helping out with the podcast goes, what do you want your uh, title? Do you want a title? Unpaid intern? You know, something like that. The official Beyond Synth unpaid intern. Well, I was kind of like cleaning up your file for you, so maybe maybe a janitor. Do you want to be the Beyond Synth janitor? It's as appropriate for my for my uh, for my pay grade. <laughs> and you can put that on your resume, or CVs as they call them over there. And it's your CV, right? Uh, yes, curriculum vitae. That's where you can fucking put it. Is what I'm trying to say. That's where I can fucking put it. <laughs> this is very aggressive. I feel like when I talk to you, I need a script or something. I'm a very social person. You give me the uh, the feeling of someone with their sort of arms crossed, just being completely unamused, which <laughs> for some reason gives me more energy because there's something to me that's so funny about somebody who's just not having it. I don't know what it is about it, but it, it certainly makes me uh, it makes me laugh. You just want to beat enthusiasm out of me or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, dude, it was good talking to you. Thanks again for uh, for helping out with the podcast. No problem. And that's all I know. You want people to go check out your soundcloud or anything uh no no go check out montlegon's soundcloud and tell him i would use a different synth or i think this song is garbage you know useful feedback like that i wish more people in the synth scene would say things and i wish like more, more popular producers would say things to the less popular ones there is a lot of new people popping up because the issue is there are people who pop up and disappear like that happens if you're serious about the music why would you do that some people i don't think are are that passionate about the music you know getting fruity loops is not a hard thing to do and sometimes people you know they just go like oh i'll just make they make a couple tracks and then they just kind of go away and i think sometimes some of the other people in the community who have been there for a long time or who are very active producers might get a little tired of that it also depends too on how how you approach people uh as well because i mean there's you know besides like a certain courtesy like i've I've talked to some producers who have had people ask them very rudely things you know like i think i was <laughs> i was talking to sunglasses kid about it where some people would just literally message him messages where there's no like hello or goodbye it's just like you know man how do you make them beats you know like things like this or i think the most common question is what instruments do you use <laughs> I think it's it's important to establish for any, you know, artists who sort of are joining the scene or producers, you know, it is important to establish who you are and that you have a sound and that it's something you care about doing, right? Because, I like, I would be the same way. I mean, I do receive messages from people who say, you know, like, oh, I'd like to be on your show and I'll check out their pages and stuff and see. And, you know, if it's somebody who's got, like, one song, it's like, oh, okay, you know, like, I'll listen. I'll listen to whatever people send me. You know, there is something about being serious about it. And then if people are serious about it, then obviously other people are going to take them seriously. And, you know, obviously the more music people do, the better they're going to be at it, I suppose. Well, how does one know from a, a glance whether they are um, serious about it? Well, I think that's the issue, right? It's not something you know from a glance, is it? I would venture that uh, probably some artists, you know, would write off somebody first if they've been burnt out by getting questions from people, you know, because sometimes if someone has a particular sound, if I were to use, uh, you know, like a perturbator, for example, or somebody like that, you know, I could imagine if someone says, you know, what instruments do you use? I could see him not responding. 
<laughs> you know, like, cause it's like, well, the, you know, if that's what, if that what is that what makes his sort of artist unique, especially with synth music and synth wave music, there is a thing about trying to stand out and make your stuff unique because there is so much stuff that kind of sounds like other people's stuff. Because obviously with synthwave, there's the whole, are you emulating music from the 80s? Are you making modern music that's inspired by, you know, that stuff? Is it, you know, cinematic or is it, you know, like poppy? Are there vocals? You know, there's all sorts of elements that... I'd rather that they, they would say, some, so instead of saying like what instruments they're using, I'd rather say how they made those instruments sound nice. And again, this is stuff I could be talking to people about. I mean, for me personally, when I do the podcast, I'm more interested in people's personal stories because that's what's interesting to me. But I do know and I do get messages from, you know, producers who do find the technical stuff interesting. But I usually don't ask those kind of questions. Oh, I'm much more interested than that. <laughs> well, that, that's a shame because I have no social life to speak of. So I have nothing other than technical experience. When it, when it comes to like the very technical stuff, like those aren't usually things that I would talk to a producer about necessarily. Like, what plugins do you like to use? And <laughs> I can understand why that would be that would be very very boring. What do you set the compressor to? What's the what's the ratio? Huh? <laughs> I could do that. Maybe I'll do an I'll do an episode that's all that. I'll do a special episode for for young producers where I'll uh, try and get like uh, you know four or five people who I've who I've had on the show before and actually just do like a tech talk because maybe some people would actually enjoy that. Actually, that will be interesting. Like get people on to talk about technical stuff. Anyways, dude. But you have a you have a lovely day and it was nice talking to you. And thanks again for uh, for helping out with the show. I will chat with you in the future. So anytime. Uh, Monthly Gone helps out with the uh, the cut of the episode. We'll do a little catch up with the uh, with the Beyond Synth janitor. Yes. <laughs>how you doing doing great actually it's really nice here in pennsylvania <laughs> surprisingly we like yesterday was 12 degrees outside and today it's like 50 which is like 
t-shirt and shorts weather. Yeah, you guys in your Fahrenheit. Uh, <laughs> you must say you have similar weather to us. I'm not sure because I'm in Toronto. We just had this fucking crazy snowstorm out of nowhere. Yeah, no, I was just talking to a guy actually from Canada. He was just saying how they had a crazy snowstorm. We were starting to get kind of spring weather. I mean, we've had a very wintry winter. Uh, sounds stupid to say, but... No, that's the same with us. Because <laughs> everyone always, you know, like this whole cliche of Canadian winters and stuff, but the past, like, five or six years, we've been having those, like, global warming winters where, like, one week it's snowing, and the next week it, like, goes into the plus Celsius, which is warm. Right, right, right. And then it all melts, and then it's all slushy and muddy, and then it snows again. And this winter's been pretty consistently, like, snow, like the kind of winters I had when I was a kid. Right. But I thought it was over, and it wasn't. And then we had this crazy <laughs> snowstorm two days ago and about, like, a foot of snow out of nowhere, and it's fucking March. Jeez. Anyway, I'll do a little cheesy intro here. Go for it. Where I will say, uh, I'm here today with Arcade High. Oh, this is a good thing because all my shows seem to focus on pronunciation. I've had two different people say your name two different ways. Really? So, uh, yeah, because... <laughs> I had uh, Betamax on last year. Okay. And he said it as Ryan Boussel, and then I had Perturbator on the show, and he said Ryan Boozle, but you know, he's French, so. That's hilarious, because it's actually Ryan Boozle. Oh, it is Boozle, okay. Yes, and I know Nick in person. <laughs> he know, I don't know why he would get that wrong. <laughs> I'm gonna have to yell at him next time I see him. So Boozle, like it's actually like the S sounds like a Z? Yes. Or a Z to you, Yanks? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh man, you Canadians are <laughs> up. with your Zeds and your boots and Celsius. Mind you, I have been more conscious of my about lately, like the way I say about, because everyone's okay. always on my ass about the way I say about everybody I talk to. But if I do say a sentence really quickly, I will. I do say about in a weird way, but it's not a boot. Like it's not like that cheesy right, kind of Canadian right, voice. Right. But if I do talk very quickly, I'll be like, "What are you talking about?" Like I said, like about. <laughs> like I do this thing. I don't know where it comes from. Oh, that's great. Anyway. That's great. Ryan, Ryan, <laughs> Ryan Boozle, Arcade High. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Tell me about your life. <laughs> about it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, tell me about it. Finishing up school, uh, film school. How's that going? That's going good. Just been doing Rage, which is my senior thesis project there. So we're uh, in post-production. How is your sort of experience being at film school? Because I went to film school as well years ago. So I'm older than you are, but I mean, about... When did I go to fucking college? Like 10 years ago? Over 10 years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. And we were there during a transitional phase. So even though we were like learning digital, like that's pretty much, it was digital at that point. Like we weren't cutting film or anything like that. Right. At our school, they weren't too sure about what like software to teach us, like editing software right, and stuff. Right, right, right. Yeah. So we learned like some stupid program called Media 100. I have heard of this actually. My my one editing teacher was talking about Media 100 and how that's what he used when he went to school. It was one of those things where even we knew at the time was just like, why are you teaching us this? Like, you know, there was Final Cut and there was Avid that they could have been teaching us. And then we, we did like this one semester using Media 100 and and uh, we were still using tapes. The first year I was there, we still shot on VHS tapes for one of the projects. Oh, man. Yeah, like I had an interesting experience because it was more about the people I met than necessarily what I learned in school. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because the, the technology kind of changes so quickly for some stuff. And yeah. I, I personally was never... Maybe we can talk about this, though, because this is a different sort of philosophy of stuff. Like, I, I was never too interested in film. Okay. I appreciate the look of it, but the idea of cutting it 
and the sort of the labor intensive process of, you know, and then like putting the film in the bag and getting somebody to develop it and just that fear of what happens if you fuck up when your hands are in the bag trying to get the film <laughs> and stuff. Right. That whole aspect of filmmaking like never interested me at all. I don't blame you. Maybe you like it. I don't know. It's actually funny because I went into film school knowing like this is what I want to do. Like I want to make movies and... I mean, I've always been into music. Like, my uh, dad is a big musician, and my mom's, like, into music. Like, they're all about music and whatnot. So that's, I guess that's kind of where I got it from. But, I mean, I've, I've sort of been into music and sort of making music and playing guitar and whatnot since I was about 12 or so. You know, eventually I kind of, like, fell into more of, like, I want to do film because film allows someone to do visual stuff, music stuff, telling a story. Like, I mean, I, I love telling stories, you know. And, like, you can do that all, all in the same package you know in film it's you know you know music you know you only have the audio or you know like I'm, I'm also into photography and graphic design but graphic design is just the visual you know so going into film school you know I was all about like oh yeah I'm gonna make movies I'm gonna be a director this this and that you know and then I think <laughs> kind of oddly enough and I'm sure I'm not the only person who's felt this but you know like the classic story of film school ruins filmmakers and makes them not want to make movies anymore mm -hmm. usually it'll happen like freshman year sophomore year well, it's kind of happened to me in my senior year. <laughs> I still love film and I'd still love to be able to work with film. But it's one of those things where I guess I hate relying on people. Yeah. I feel like there are so many places to screw up in film, you know, whether it's in, in any department, cinematography, you know, cinematography, uh, you know, the camera department, the sound department, just production design, the actors themselves. Like there's so many places to screw up. And like sometimes like you can't help that like being and I I like to have control over things which is why I love doing electronic music I can just sit in my room or my basement or wherever you know and just work on stuff and I, I control everything I don't have to worry about someone else messing up the vision or like the the way it is you know and I don't know so I feel like I do like the process but it is very stressful and frustrating and I can totally see why someone <laughs> would not want to have to deal with that. I've always felt that way too. I mean, because I, I make silly videos and stuff. And, and one of my, my blocks that I'm trying to sort of get over now, like sort of later in life, is that teamwork thing because I want it to be me. It's like if I say this thing's an Andy Last film, right. I want I want my stamp on sort of all aspects of it. Right. And it's always hard to get people on board, especially if there's no money, obviously. Exactly. Yeah. Money exactly. would change everything. Like if all of a sudden yeah, precisely. <laughs> someone dumped like a million dollars on my lap and was like, here, you can make a short film and I could actually like hire my friends to be like, no, this is exactly what you're going to do because you're being paid. Right. But you know, once you get people involved where they have got to get some sort of something artistic out of it themselves yeah and then you end up with a sort of a different product than maybe you want as you know as a visionary oh exactly and that's the same with same with film school where it's like you're not i mean you can't pay anyone i mean like when we raised money for rage like we, we had the compilation that we were selling as well to raise money but like i mean we we, we ended up making our five thousand dollar mark but like five thousand dollars is was still not anywhere near where I wanted like the amount that I would have loved ideally to have for the film because yeah. at 5,000, 5,000 is enough for us to just make the film at a kind of a basic um, solid level, you know, like, I mean, if we had more than that, we could pay people, mm -hmm. not just pay people, but, you know, bring hire people, bring on people who, you know, know what they're doing and who are professionals in their field. And I think that's another key thing. It's like, like you said, if you don't have money involved, it becomes a negotiation where exactly you have yeah. to, you have to be good at, and this is what I'm not, great at is like with the things that I make they're very specifically me and so I make a thing and I'm like I know that I'm making this video for like eight people in the world 
Right. And <laughs> it's hard to bring people aboard if they don't see some sort of value into why would they be a part of the project. And I think sometimes being, you know, it's it's sort of like that producer mentality. It's like if you're like a director, producer kind of person, you really have to be good at making someone think that by doing your project, you are somehow fulfilling their artistic you know vision as well yeah. even if it is sort of yeah. yours and that's a whole thing that i'm i know i'm not good at there's lots of things i know i can't do like when it comes to to video stuff casting is a huge one i'm terrible at there's all these uh, there's all these things where as i get older and i sit there and i'm like okay i want to make things like there's things i want to make there's just that point where it's like there's that compromise where it's like you know what i gotta start getting people on board like casting is a thing i can't do i find it so uncomfortable and especially, like, I want to do music videos. Yeah. That's a thing that's super difficult because especially for, like, synthwave-style music, part of it is the aesthetic of just get a hot chick in there, you know, get a, get a, yeah. get a beautiful <laughs> yeah. girl. And I just find that that concept so uncomfortable to send in a casting call or whatever and liter oh, yeah. literally be casting a person based on if you find them attractive. It's so oh, yeah. awkward. It's so dehumanizing. Like to be like meeting with somebody like in a coffee shop, like, oh yeah, yeah, it's a pretty good project. And the whole time talking to them going, I don't find you pretty enough for this thing. It's like, it's mean and it makes you feel mean. No, no listen, that's okay. I will tell you all about this. <laughs> so I know exactly what you're saying. So specifically for Rage, we had to cast, um, we have a scene in a strip club. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we had to cast cocktail waitresses slash dancers who'd be willing to go topless on stage Ooh. and i'm sitting here now thankfully i had a female casting director who was with me during our casting calls but oh my goodness it was the most awkward thing ever like we're sitting there and you know I, there there came to a point where i okay so we'd bring people in we sit them down and i have nothing for them to read so it's like do i make them read something to like see if they can act and then tell them would you be willing to do this or do we just straight up ask them right. so i'm like okay well we we have a female role in the film so uh, you know i'll have them read for the female role and then i'll go ahead and just act. you know it's it's a, it's kind of like an icebreaker it's you know and then if they're really good then i can see if i want to use them for future projects whatever right so finally it comes down you know it's like so we have this scene in a strip club you know like are you willing to go topless like and asking these girls it's the most terrible awkward thing like oh my goodness i couldn't even handle it there's nothing quite like the icebreaker of uh you know once they sit down and then you're like uh all right get your tits out yeah <laughs> precisely and thankfully like my the casting director like she was willing to actually be the one to ask them so it was a little less awkward to have mm. like a female ask them of course yeah it, it was still terrible but like I, I know that feeling where like people will come in and like you're thinking okay well we are casting for this role specifically and as soon as they come in just like that it's like nope you don't look the part and that sounds terrible but like you have to have a certain aesthetic on the screen i mean like there's a reason why pretty people are casted in movies yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's uh... it is so specific to you know the director or the casting agent like it's not just a question of if a person's like pretty or not you might just have a particular look you're looking for oh precisely yeah, and someone exactly. walks in it's just like nope it's not a question of if they're unattractive it's just like that's just right. not the thing and it doesn't matter how good this person is they don't right. unless they are amazing but i mean what are the odds you know what i mean that like well, you're just gonna have well, a random right. casting call and someone's gonna show up that's gonna be like hollywood grade you know like amazing actor they're gonna be okay probably you know but they might be their first thing there's there's some actors i know when we were doing stuff in school that there were these kind of actors who just kind of always showed up to like student audition 
things. Right. So we'd start to recognize faces of like people oh, who yeah. were just kind of like that's their scene. You know, maybe they've acted in like a TV show as an extra or something, but like they get their experience or their practice by acting on student films. Right. And so you start to see these types of people that come in and they're not necessarily like good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm deemed diplomatic about this. I don't know. Like... <laughs> it's like they're in the room with you. Yeah, like this is all... I'm doing this interview from like a fucking casting agent. So just... <laughs> they're just watching me. Right. So actually, maybe we'll just talk more specifically about what rage is then. Tell me about rage. Sell me on it. I'm a producer. <laughs> I'm, I'm a producer. I'm willing to fucking drop 10 grand on this thing. So sell oh, it to me. Uh, okay. Um... You're fired. Well, it's yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it's 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 an action revenge tale. It's a short film. There's not a whole lot going on. It's it's you got you got boobs, you got action, you got blood, uh, you got some some perturbator, <laughs> perturbator scoring it yep. for us. You got some you got some eighties tunes. It's very video game inspired. Uh, like the scene that we shot, the, the spec scene or like, like the test scene that we shot is not part of the, the overall film. Like, like a lot of people think that's supposed to be part of the overall film. And that that was more of let's see, let's do an action piece because I've never done an action piece before. It looked good. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you. Well, that's that's uh, the uh, cinematographer, Ben Boyle. He did a great job. It was actually really funny because the class that I'm in is called uh, P4 or production four. It's like the fourth year uh, class or whatever. So everyone does their senior thesis film in this class. And we have, I think, like five films or so and like usually it's more than that usually it's more more like seven or eight uh but we'll, i think we only have like four or five that's the better way to go see what happened with us sorry to interrupt you but uh, mm. what happened in my, okay. in my group they we were sort of like a guinea pig year so we were like an exception in the school that i went to okay so they put a level like the, a level cap they put a <laughs> they put a cap on see even though there was like 70 students in the course I think they got whittled down to maybe like 50 or 60 by our third year. Oh, yeah, that's how it goes, yeah. And they said, you know, even though, yeah, you should probably just make seven or eight productions so that you can use the talent pool from the rest of the the class and actually make some proper things, they did this weird experiment where they just said, we'll make as, you can make as many as you want. Oh, wow, okay. That's the year that I learned, maybe I don't want to deal with the hassle. Like, I had a script, I had an idea, and I just thought about it, and I discovered I really enjoyed editing. I mean, I still enjoy making things, but I enjoy editing. Like, that's something I like to do. Right. And I realized at that final year, I just sacrificed my own project and just said, you know what? I'd rather not do that. I'd rather just work on other people's projects, which is not like something I would normally think of to do. Like, I would normally be like, oh, I'm going to be a director, blah, blah. Yeah. But at that moment, I just thought, you know, this is just going to go smoother if I just... You know, I'll be an editor on like one or two, you know, I'll do sound on somebody's or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the class still produced so many that they had to have like two showings of the movies. There was like the A showing and the B showing. Okay. The faculty like picked the best ones to be at like the main showing. But since there was so many shorts made, they couldn't play them all in the same evening. Right. There was sort of a joke about how like the B screening was like the B screening, you know? Oh, geez. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> And it didn't really work out for the best, right? Because the the talent was spread too thin. Right. So, you know, there was a couple of, you know, shorts that were like, okay, but really optimally it would have been better if, you know, we had done what, you know, you guys are doing, where it's just somehow, how was the choice? Like, how was it chosen that yours would be one of the, the seven made or whatever? Well, the way it works for my school is anything gets made pretty much. As long as you have yourself and someone else doing it for credit, as in like your senior thesis project credit, 
then you can you can do whatever film you want. You just join the class. Third year films will they do this whole like you put your name in your your application in if you want to do directing or producing or editing or whatever, and then the the faculty will choose you know what seven people can be editors on these seven films that are made because like every year they make like specifically like six to eight films or whatever depending on how large the class is. Um, but P four is different where they just allow you to you can just make it any film that you write or have someone else write. And if you're taking it for credit, you can just do it. And that's the weird part because P3 or the third year production is actually held at a higher, like held in a higher regard than P4, which is really odd. And I, I think it's because of this whole like hiring slash casting process where they, they, you know, people put in their applications for things and people get picked. I feel like people like kind of get bigger egos because, you know, oh, they were chosen to be producer or they were chosen to be director, you know? And so I feel like people like, even the public will, I mean, they will like sell out our theaters at the school for P3. And then the P4s get like 75% attendance like in, in the theater. It's, I don't know, it's, it's really, it's really odd. What's the rationale behind that? Like, is it once you go to P4, is that more when you start to specialize, like actually to get a job kind of thing? Like, is that what it's about? I, yes, I guess. I don't know. It's, it's basically saying like, you probably have an idea of what you want to do. So go ahead and just do it for whatever project you want you want to do. But that's the thing is like this is kind of what I was saying before is it's funny um, because Ben Boyle, my cinematographer, shot the original scene. He's he shot the the longer version too. And because everyone was so interested in our project, he got like every cinematographer in our class to come on set uh, for his crew specifically. Like like even ones from the other P4s in the class. And so it's so funny because like all of the DPs in the class worked on Rage, and it's just so weird. But like it shows like it. It looks great for p3 they they give you money but they don't give you money in p4 like they they force you to raise it on your own in p3 they give you two grand to make the film it's kind of backwards i'm not really sure it, like <laughs> they see it as like oh well it, it's p4 so it's like it should be more challenging than p3 you have to do it in less time like shoot in less time and they like you have to like raise your own money find all your funding and find all your actors and find all your your crew and everything like it's just and you know i mean it's fine it's just like it's kind of a hassle but that's film school, I guess. We never got money, but they did. Uh, we just got equipment. They just had the equipment and we could use. They had like two big sets we could yeah. use. But Oh, that's cool. You have sets. You don't, we don't have sets. <laughs> I love just the look of student film sets. I mean, it's always, right. it's always cooler when you go on location. But I remember like we would have these sort of... Um, they had pre-made like sort of set sheets, you know, like here's a door frame and here's, you know, yeah. a window with a brick wall in the background, like stuff. I mean, you could make you we could build our own sets, but there was also that sort of putting up just these big flat walls and painting them different colors. And it's a different room because this wall is blue now. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. I, I always love the look of them because whenever I would see like other student films or like low budget movies where you can just you just look at it and go like, yep. <laughs> clearly yep, a set yeah. <laughs> you know, just, there's just a look oh, yeah. to it but yep. you're um i mean i've only obviously i've only seen the uh the short scene you put up of rage when you were uh fundraising with the album right but, uh, that scene like it looked very nice i'm a big sucker for although it's not necessarily like realistic lighting but you know when there's like right. a, a red light shining from one side of the screen and a blue light shining from the other side of the screen oh yeah i don't know oh, exactly. i don't know what it is about that but i always love that look oh exactly that's and that's exactly what like we wanted to and it's even crazier for the for the longer version because we have all different colored lights like i remember we had this one scene where it's it's outside and it's supposed to be like in the city or whatever and we, had, we had a bunch of extras and whatnot and i was like i like went off to go to the, the restroom which was like across the road 
from where we were and I came back and I just like looked at the set from like afar. It's just like just a mishmash of lights all over the place. And I'm like, this looks like it's a video game. Like this is bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> but, like it, but like it works yeah. on screen, you know, it's just like you don't really question it. Because like once you establish that the world is colorful, you can do whatever you want. And that's mm-hmm. kind of the fun of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's talk a bit about uh, Arcade High here. Okay. There was the Art of Youth. Yes. Which was an album, right? Was that an album? Right, yeah. It was my first album. And there was a lot of sort of like chip toony kind of samples in that. I mean, that seems to be sort of a running thing throughout your music. Like you like the chip toony right. sounds. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I love video games. I love retro stuff. I mean, I, I grew up on Sega Genesis when I was younger. I think I was like six when I got it for Christmas. The first album I, I already viewed that I made, well, actually, this kind of goes back to film school because I, I made that album right after I did this film for a horror movie class where we like we would like learn about horror movies or whatever and we had to create a movie in the class and he would pass out different like subgenres of horror we got 80 slasher film and so at this point in time i had had only seen drive so i had like a vague idea of like the synthwave genre like i you know obviously like kavinsky in college and like i had been listening like since watching drive i had been listening to some stuff online like i had found electronic rumors uh, I'd found um, New Retro Wave. And so, like, artists like, you know, like Perturbator and uh, Lou Revert, Mitch Murder and Miami Nights, et cetera, et cetera. Those were all kind of sort of on my radar, but I didn't really... I didn't really understand that it was, like, a thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't really quite get that it was, like, a whole, like, scene of people. And so we did this film, and... I had always wanted to do electronic music. I just really had no idea how to do it because I, I was always like, oh, you have to have one of those like special programs to put the beep boops and numbers in. And it yeah. seems really confusing. <laughs> you know, like that's exactly how I like pictured it. Mm-hmm. So we did the film and I was like, you know what? Like, I'm going to try and write a song. So I just like opened GarageBand. I actually stumbled upon a really old GarageBand file from like five years prior to that. And now this was like two years ago, maybe three years ago. So like this file is like eight years old. And I like, I open it up and it's this riff and it's like, doom, 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 doom. And I'm like, like, well, this is kind of cool. Like, I, I'm like, okay, like I, I can use this. And so like, I grab this riff and I start like playing off of it. And I write Crush, which is off of Art of Youth with Matty Ardillo, who's a screenwriting major at school. So Crush was the first song I wrote, I guess, like my first electronic song ever that I wrote. did the song we put it in the movie it was like the ending song or whatever 
and then I was like, you know, I, I kind of like this. So like I, I started to make other songs. And at that time, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. You know, I was just like listening to like Miami Nights and Mitch and just like pulling different ideas from them and just listening to other random things. And video games, I guess, were like a big influence. Like I would listen to some stuff like Power Glove or uh Miami Nights has a has a song I think off his first album Intermission of some sort where it's like he has like video game stuff going on and I was like oh you can like do that kind of stuff in this music that's cool and so you know so I just started kind of taking ideas from that from these other artists and video games kind of kept popping up consistently and I suppose when I was thinking of my name I'm like oh like I'll put arcade and uh, okay like like high like high school like because that's like a recurrent theme and like this kind of stuff so I was like okay and of course like I knew that everyone was gonna confuse me with arcade fire which I swear <laughs> happens like all the time uh, but you know that's that's whatever I guess my first album like for me like I don't see that album as being like a chip toony album necessarily it has these clear video game influences like with specifically like the first song the opening song the intermission song and the final song but like the rest of the songs are, are pretty straight synth wave for the most part but it's weird that like you have those few songs you're called arcade high and suddenly you're instantly like pinned as like video game stuff which i mean obviously like my second album had a lot more uh pixel passion you know but it's kind of funny how people kind of connect to one specific thing and then they kind of run with it in terms of like how your how your sound or like how they describe you you know when i do listen to your tracks it's clearly not pure chiptune music right but you like that sound like the yes. the, the chiptune yeah. sound is recurrent even though the music itself isn't like pure but then what is pure chiptune i mean you, we get into that right. discussion of <laughs> the, the, right, exactly the purity what's what's your favorite uh track on on that album on art of youth yeah we have one i would probably say high school fantasy only because high school fantasy was like the underdog track i felt for a while like when i first released the album i had no idea that anyone would listen to it you know i'm just like oh here's an album hey friends listen to my album and high school fantasy was like the one song that i Really enjoyed. I, I don't know why. I guess it just sort of has a weird, like, brooding, nostalgic sound to it. And I just sort of, like, like that sound. Then people started to be like, oh, yeah, I love High School Fantasy. And I was like, I know, right? Like, oh, thank you. Because no one else, like, likes that song. And I was just I was happy that, like, <laughs> I was happy that, like, people, like, picked up on it. Because at first, everyone was was listening to, like, Crush, you know, I mean, because it has vocals. And so people were, like, commenting on that or whatever. Miami Nights is another one that I like a lot. And I guess only because that was... I think the second or third song I wrote for the album, like that was the one I wrote after Crush. And I actually did a new song that's sort of a mashup of two songs off of that album. Okay. I actually mashed up uh, my song Miami Nights with Crush because I, I, I had originally done it for a live set because I've, I've been doing a couple live shows. And um, I was sort of, as I was writing the live set, I was, I was, you know, obviously like mashing up different songs and whatnot. And like those two songs actually worked really well together. So I kind of did like a, a weird like hybrid of those two. And I, I really enjoyed how it sounded. So I ended up like actually going back into, into Logic and actually putting the pieces together and, you know, putting all the stems together to actually make it into a, a real song. And it, it's fun because like, I feel like Crush is definitely my worst song in terms of like production value. I mean, I had no clue what I was doing uh, when I, you know, wrote it. It's super simple. Uh, it's super kind of raw. I've always loved the, the vocals on it, uh, Maddie's vocals. And so I, I wanted to kind of revisit that and be able to sort of put that into a, a you know, I guess like, like a 2014 perspective of like, I kind of know what I'm doing now. I can sort of put it into a thing and make it sound better. So yeah, that'll be coming out in a couple of days. Uh, it's called Miami Crush is the song. Do you watch your mind? Do you watch your mind? 
I saw some funny tweets of yours, and I oh. wanted you to elaborate. <laughs> Go on. Because I, I can relate to this story, because I had a similar thing happen. I, I forget when this was from, but you said, um, just found $20 on the ground in the mall. Score. <laughs> I'm trying to think when that might have been. Because there were two occasions I think this happened. What the hell? Look at you, eh? You're fucking walking around all the time and $20 bills are flying at you? Yeah, I think I just like walked by and saw and like happened to like looked down and I was like, oh, there's a $1 bill. And I like picked it up and I was like, oh, that's a 20. <laughs> so I just like put it in my wallet. I don't know. It was it was a good it was a good day, but I honestly don't remember the exact uh, details of what had happened. Well, it seems like with luck like that, in your casting sessions, you figure the chicks would just walk in and just get their boobs out. If $20 well, bills are being thrown at you, they just walk in and be like, yeah, I well, think you pretty <laughs> much want to see this. And then, <laughs> well, we did have one girl who came in and was like, so all about it that I became like, uncomfortable. We're like, so like, you know, would you be willing to, you know, like wear something like scantily clad? Like, she's like, oh, yeah, sure. Okay, so like, would you be like okay with going like topless? Oh yeah, sure, of course, I'll, I'll do anything. And it's like, okay, would you be willing to go fully nude? She's like, oh yeah, of course, yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, whatever. It's, I'll do anything for the film, and I'm we're just like, what? Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was it was actually really weird. Like it was like a it was a strange excitement. Well, it's definitely one of those like, oh, I don't know if I want you through the film, but um, give me your number and come to my house. <laughs> There you go. We will continue this casting <laughs> session. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Precisely. So wait, so what was the second tweet? The second tweet was, just got asked for a light by a drifter. He then pulled out a knife and took off the child lock. Terrifying. Oh, no. Okay. This was terrifying. So my friend and I are standing outside and this guy walks up, straight drifter, clearly disheveled. And not to like judge him by his outward appearance, but like you wouldn't just like want to like, I'm going to go be this guy's friend today. Right. So he like walks up and it's, you know, it's fine enough at first. He's like, can I have a light? Oh, sure. So like I gave him this lighter I had. It was a little orange bick, like one of the mini ones. Mm -hmm. First of all, he stood there awkwardly and he was like eating like cake. <laughs> Yeah, it was so surreal. It was so weird. He was like eating cake and he like kept chewing and it was like it was like his mouth was dry and he didn't have anything any, like kind of liquid to like wash it down. So he had to like take extra time to like chew it and like swallowed hard. And then he like lit his cigarette and then he put his finger up, so, you know, like, like hold on mm. for another second. We're like, um, okay, pulls out a knife. Okay, so like immediately we're just like, okay, we're getting shanked. Like, that's it. Like, we're gonna die today. It's cool. Like, no big deal. Yeah. And then he proceeds to open it up and begin to pick at the lighter. And then we're like, what's happening? And then he just like pulls the child lock off and then hands it back to me. And I was like, thanks. <laughs> and, we just, and we just like walked inside. <laughs> It was a very existential moment. <laughs> I will tell you that. Like he just pulls the child log off. Thank you, you terrifying motherfucker. And then just yeah, fucking yeah, precisely. walk like, backwards. Like, like... Talk to me a bit about Beauty Queen. So that also stems back from film school. I feel like everything stems back to film school. That was actually a project I did in my intermediate directing class where we were required to do a one minute film without dialogue and have like a character in a setting and they're supposed to like show change over like the one minute or whatever. It was supposed to be just like a visual exercise. And so I decided to do this short where we have this kind of this girl who is in this dressing room getting prepared to like go out on stage, whether it's to sing or to perform or whatever. She's like dolling herself up 
and then she hears the crowd or whatever and whatnot and then she kind of like has this like inner moment where she's like i'm a piece of shit or whatever mm. and then kind of like has this like sad moment and that's the end of the short and it's just like a real quick thing but i wrote like a little ditty for it which ended up being the beginning of beauty queen the song and so like beauty queen the song that you know of was in that short and then like after i had done that i was like hey like i really want to do an like, like an ep um, it'd be cool if I like brought this back into my repertoire of songs or whatever and kind of expanded upon it. And so that's what I did. And then from there, I just kind of wrote other songs based around this concept of like a girl in a town or whatever. And she's like the beauty queen, but like she's not as pretty and happy as everyone thinks she is. And, you know, I mean, it's that's kind of like the rough theme that it was sort of based on. I really like and I think actually it's my favorite song of yours is Blacktop Rendezvous. Oh, is it really? <laughs> Yeah, that's my favorite track. Well, that's uh, thank you, because I feel like everyone hates that track. So it's cool. It's got a bit of like a Postal Service vibe to it. Right, right, right. I mean, that's not why I like it, but I mean, that's just right. it's, for me. I have a very sort of eclectic taste when it comes to like the synthwave stuff. Right. So there's nothing very specific. Like I'm, I don't specifically target like dark perturbator type stuff or whatever. Yeah. Like there's some songs I just like and I just I really enjoy uh, that track. Tell me about it. Well, okay, so... Like, <laughs> I'm a terrible interviewer. Yeah, no, no, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's great. I've been doing music stuff since I was younger. When I was probably like 16, 17, 18, around then, I was really big into like pop punk, emo stuff um, back in like 2006 or so. I was writing stuff on guitar. I was in, you know, a couple like acoustic bands or whatever. And like I, I had written a bunch of songs, but going into electronic music, just that kind of style, it's it's hard to like bring a specific style into electronic other than pop, rock, or like eighties straight music. Like it's hard to like bring in something like brand new or taking back Sunday into like the synthwave genre because it's two different things. I found it difficult for me to like be like, okay, well I'm gonna write a song with vocals, but the only way I know how to write a song is like these other artists that I liked back when I wrote songs. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, Postal Service, they're electronic and, and like they can do it. Like, you know, like, like they were able to figure out a way, but still Postal Service is not synthwave. No, 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 of course. Like they don't have that 80s sound. And I'm, I'm not saying just like instrumentally, but like vocally, like, like they don't have that aesthetic. Yeah. But that was the closest I could I could think of. I and mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of Puzzle Service and Death Cab and, and Ben Gibbard in general. You know, so like, I guess like when I wrote it, I'm like, okay, well, like I can sing decently. Like, let me just write a track and try to put some vocals over it. We'll see how it goes. Like I, I did it. I mean, I was pretty happy with it. But the thing is like people like hear that song and like, because it does not sound like an 80s pop track, they immediately dismiss it. Or they just think I blow, you know? I mean, that, <laughs> that's that's possible too. Well, I know for a fact, actually, on my YouTube, or well, not on my YouTube channel, but on the new Retro Wave YouTube channel, someone commented like, oh, this track was ruined with vocals. And I was like, oh, bummer. You know, like, you know, because people hear that. makes you feel good. Yeah, because people hear that. And it was originally an instrumental track before I added vocals to it. And I've tried mm. to do it since then, but I've just been too, to put it bluntly, just insecure to just be like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and put my ass on the line again, see if people like this, you know? Because, I mean, I feel like I make decent instrumental stuff, so I, I can just keep doing that. And I, I'm itching to do more for my next release, but I'm not sure if I'm going to do them or if I'm going to have other people do vocals. With the way your vocals sound, I mean, when I, when I make, like, the Postal Service reference, is it was sort of more in your in your vocal style than it was necessarily into the music. 
but it definitely was sort of distinctive enough that like I didn't hear another song in in this sort of genre I'll say that that sounded like that because there's sort right. of a way of of that singing style where it's I'm trying to find a way to describe it like it's sort of like talk singing sort of I mean like it's still singing like there's a tune but it's very sort of subtle like it's mm-hmm. not the, the kind of singing where you're like blowing your voice out right, or like right, trying right. to like hit crazy notes it's it's more sort of subdued but I like that style and that's how it sort of reminded me of Postal Service right. and that's sort of like it's kind of like soft clear the words are all very clear you know like there's a style to it and not sung with like a, a faux british accent like i would do <laughs> right well it was actually funny that you mentioned because everyone mentions postal service naturally i mean I, I agree but but it's funny because like i was i was recording that track with my dad actually my dad helps me do a lot of mixing and recording stuff for my music and i was recording the vocals for that track and he was like hey ryan you, you, you're you're a vocal sounding a little bit like some other band of yours. And I was like, what are you talking about, Dad? All the bands I listen to are instrumental. Like, Mitch Murder has no vocals, Dad. I don't sound like Mitch Murder. Like, I don't sound, I don't sound like all these other artists or whatever. <laughs> and, and then, like, a day or two passes, and I'm sitting there recording the vocals again, and I'm singing one specific part, and I go, oh, my God, I sound like Ben Gibbard. <laughs> and, like, I, I had realized that my inflection was, like, super Ben Gibbard-y. <laughs> so much so that I actually went back and re-recorded it. Because I like realized it was it was too postal service sounding, but I had no idea. And I was like, "Wait, Dad, do you mean Death Cab for Cutie?" And he's like, "Yeah, that's it. That's what you sound like." And I was like, "Oh my goodness," because he's a he's a fan of Death Cab for Cutie, right? So I ended up going back and re-recording it. But I, you can still hear a little bit in the inflection at, on some parts. But like it was it was pretty heavy heavy handed the first time around, which I didn't even pick up until you know after a while recording. And I was like, "Oh, yep, I sound a lot like him. I, I need to stop yeah. that." <laughs> We will run 
you made a music video for that one, right? Yeah, that one was just my friend, Jess Walsh, who goes to film school with me. She's a cinematographer, so she's all about cameras and whatnot. Her and I just like went out with some friends uh, with just like a camera, and we're just like, we're going to run around town and <laughs> film some stuff. And that was basically it. Like, it was really low-key, um, really quick. We did it in one night. Was that moment then where the guy jumps up and grabs the flower from like the shrub street lamp thing? Was that just an improvised moment? Yes, it was actually. <laughs> it seemed that way at the time. That seemed sort of like a real moment when I watched it. Like, I don't think they planned that. Well, actually, what happened was like, we, were just, we were just walking by. And he just did it. And we're like, whoa, 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 no, 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 put that back, do it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we even so then we recorded him doing it. But I'm hoping to actually. I was just talking to her a couple of days ago. Actually, we were um, having a drink at a bar, and I was talking to her about how I want to do another music video for something, and actually like like really try to put a lot of uh, production quality into it. Try to get like, like a nice camera and not kind of do it on the fly. I mean, like it worked for what it was, but to try to actually go out and create something that that could be nice and have a sheen to it. You know what I mean? And, and so we can, you know, because I, I feel like that's one thing that people kind of miss in the synthwave genre and i'm sure a lot of other genres that are smaller like the whole marketing aspect of it when it comes to videos i mean i say this a lot but i i try and be diplomatic about it because i know you know there's the channels like new retro wave right. and maniac synth and stuff but for me personally like i don't want to necessarily talk badly of those things because right. it's cool that they're you know putting these videos on youtube but i i'm always watching them going i i want to just I want these these artists to have real videos, like right, not exactly. using 80s footage, like just on. And there's a couple, like there's a few I've seen and they're great. Like I know, um, you know, there's the story of the running wolf. Okay. Yeah. And those guys have a great video. And that's, I mean, I think they only have that song. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. I was in contact with them like a long time ago about doing the show. And then like, I haven't really talked to them since, but that's the only song you can get. Right. It's funny because I, I'm actually working on one. Okay. Although it's sort of like, I'm going to just release it when it's done kind of thing. Like, cause right. it's going to take a while. Cause it involves a spaceman and a spaceship and stuff. Oh, nice. Super low budget though. Like models and right. You know. That's cool. I, I was originally going to do a different idea until I saw another artist who had a video and it got quite a few views. I think it was like, you know, like 250,000 or whatever trying to think who it was but they literally did exactly what i wanted to do whereas like you know it's like a spaceman in a cockpit and that was sort of like the majority of the video yeah, yeah. and i was like oh yeah and he'll have like sort of like a motorcycle helmet type you know like spacesuit all cobbled yeah. together and he'll have one of those those joysticks right uh, the, the computer joystick <laughs> exactly, things yeah and then i watched this video and it was like oh my god the they literally did all of those things. Oh, that, <laughs> that was good. Yes, that happens all the time to me, and I, I just get so bummed out. <laughs> I'm like, I have a cool <laughs> idea. Oh, they did it already. It doesn't bum me out so much because it's a nice, satisfying feeling. Like that's true. If I have an idea and I see that someone's done it, a lot of times it happens with kind of skits, like comedy ideas. Right. And I feel like if someone does it to the point where they did a good enough job, I still feel like maybe my idea would have been slightly better, but they did it well enough and the video is popular enough that if I even tried to do anything like it now, it would just be a ripoff. Right. It sort of satisfies me because then I can sort of check that box off in my head. Like, well, you can't do that. Like, right. I well, had, it's also a valid, like a validation of the idea itself, I guess, too. You know? Yeah. Cause I had, I had an idea that I, I think then college humor did it. And to, you know, to, to be fair, I never fucking moved on it. So it's like, you know, right. that's the way it works, right. but it was about Batman. And I wanted to do a skit that showed what Batman is doing when he disappears because you know like every time he'll, he'll do that thing and, right 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 uh, I'll, I'll go right on it and then commissioner gordon <laughs> commissioner gordon turns around and then batman's gone yes and then commissioner gordon like oh he does that but then meanwhile 
you know in real life Batman must be hiding behind something really close by. Yeah, yeah, to yeah give like the... behind the corner, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I thought this would be a, such a funny idea for a skit is to show that and show it from Batman's perspective. So the second he's just like, you know, like, I'll look into it. Then Commissioner Gordon turns around and then you actually follow Batman run and hide behind <laughs> like and so College Humor did a skit that was like that. Enough so that, and they put enough work into it. You know, I think it was right. still one of those ones where like Pete Holmes was doing the Batman impression and stuff. And so it was like, it looked good. And enough about it was like where they took the idea where it was like, all right, if I just did this now, it would be like I copied the college humor video, even though they took the joke in a slightly different direction. Right. Like it was all about Commissioner Gordon, like saying he could see Batman, you know, like, right, I right, can right. see you, you're standing behind there. Whereas I really wanted to just play yeah. it for real. Right. <laughs> Literally showing the camera from a different angle and showing how goofy it is that Batman has to do this to, but anyway, that's yeah, the, so yeah. that's like, that's so that's an example of one of those things where I think like the idea is strong, but it's like, meh, you know, if it's been done, I feel like it's been done. Whereas like, there's other parody things I've wanted to do that I feel like they, like 24, like the show 24. Yeah. I always had all these great parody ideas and I never saw a good one. Like I would go on YouTube whenever I have an idea for a skit and I'll see it. Has someone done this? Right. You know, if I want to do like, you know, if I thought of, hey, laser cats, that's a funny thing. And then go on YouTube and be like, oh shit, like SNL, you know, like that was a <laughs> yeah. digital short. And then you see, okay, well, I'm obviously not going to do anything that's funnier than this. So like we're done. Yeah. And uh, so 24, I just figured like there's when 24 was at its height, I was like, there's got to be some good 24 parodies. And even like the 24 parodies that were like on like the big comedy shows were shitty. Mm. And I never saw a good one. Like to this day, I've never seen a good one. They're just really bad. Also, I feel like if people take those ideas and do too many of them, where like they can just beat it into the ground, but like none of them are really that good. Or, or like, or you have like one that's good that like did it first and then like everyone else tries to do something the same. When it came to like 24 parodies, like the most people could do was that they would do the split screens with the clock in the center. Right. And to them, it was like, that's the parody. Yeah, that's the parody, you know, like, yeah. It was never about how ridiculous the story got in that show. Right. Like to me, the, the joke would have, I don't know if you ever watched it, but I mean, that show started out really great. Like it was in its first season, it's like, it's, it's a really strong show and it became sort of like a cartoon. Mm -hmm of itself like right. as it went on i think like once like the mass audience like picked up on yeah. that show they sort of dumbed it and it just became like an action hero show as right. opposed to like the first season is the first season is genuinely like i tell people like they should they should watch it because it's it's like a thriller like that's the genre right when that show started it was a thriller and when it ended jack bowers like walking down the street with a bazooka and body armor like blowing up trucks and like it just it, <laughs> it became like this action show parody where yeah it didn't matter that it was 24 hour day because they would just have characters teleport. Like even if he was across town and they needed him at the start of the next episode in a different building, he would just be there. Nice. Even though that episode's supposed to take place like a minute later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's another thing. But to me, like that was the joke of the show was just like right. the plot twist became so ridiculous that there was like a funny skit idea in just the escalating of stupid plot twists. Like that to me was the joke. Yeah, exactly. I, I've been sort of changing the way I write the questions for okay. these things. I, I, I Sometimes I don't really write questions. I just write point form notes. But what's funny is sometimes the point form notes I write, I have no idea what they mean. So, <laughs> so I've got one point form note here that says, cat sitting on his keyboard. Does that mean anything to you? My cat always sits on my keyboard. He's okay, actually, there you go. He's actually sitting next to me now, but he is not on my keyboard. He oftentimes 
comes over and sits on my keyboard and does strange things on my computer. He also killed me in Flappy Bird the other day when I was playing Flappy Bird on my iPad and walked on the screen and it, it registered his paw and killed me. <laughs> <laughs> I just love looking at these stupid notes I've written. Tell me about your collaboration with uh, Perturbator. Okay, well, I, just so you know, I call him Perturbator because I, I, I feel like I, even though I've spoken to him and he said he claims that he pronounces it perturbator or whatever. I told him mm. to stop doing that and to pronounce it perturbator because perturbator sounds like masturbator. I met James when I released my first album, Art of Youth. I had sent it around to a couple random labels. I forget. I think like Russa Corsa and Girlfriend, I think was another one. And then um, Aphasia, the, the Aphasia label I sent it off to, which at the time was the first time I had heard of them, but I had I had found them through Mikhail Brun's artist uh Lou Revert, that's who he is and they got back to me and they're like hey like we want you to join on and I was like whoa sweet and so I just kind of started chatting with him like I, I had vaguely heard his name tossed around up until that point like on New Retro Wave and whatnot but I hadn't really really listened to his music but when I started talking to him like we just kind of hit it off and kind of became good friends and he just the one day asked me if, if I wanted to do a collab with him he basically was like hey come on and do your cool like solo chip tuny stuff and i was like okay so he just like gave me the track and so that was back when i'm still using garage band before logic and no yeah it was fun i mean i just did it like in a day i just kind of like threw the stuff in and it was cool asked him to do some tracks for uh, rage he, he actually did the the scoring for the scene that's out he obviously didn't do the last track which is jordan f's abandoned streets but he did like the main underscoring or whatever to it it's fun he i, I love working with him he's a super nice guy he's really goofy um him and his short shorts <laughs> i mean it's obviously like he he knows that that genre too i actually was just talking to him recently um about the longer version of rage and i was like yeah so like we, we need some cool like john carpenter-esque sounds where like stuff pops out and she's like Pee! like really like weird sounding things that don't mean anything and he's like yeah okay cool so then like he just like gave me a bunch of sounds and like they're exactly what i wanted so yeah yeah it's always fun to work with someone who who really understands the genre you know because i mean if you work with someone who oh like they just do music scoring they may not really understand what you're trying to do obviously like a lot of people in the scene like i mean pretty much everyone in the scene understands that genre but like it's i guess i'm just trying to reinforce the fact that like it was great that i was able to pull talent from the scene to do this because they get what we're doing you know, with this kind of project, as opposed to like outside composers who like would make cool stuff, but like, do they understand corny 80s things, you know? In Pixel Passion, there's a track called Without You featuring Hannah Edwards. Who is that? Actually, you'll be seeing more of her 
because I heard she has another track coming out with another artist. I'm probably not supposed to speak of it, but I'm sure everyone will know by the time this airs. <laughs> Excuse me, sorry. I'm eating. Pizza pockets. <laughs> Actually, they're just olives. Is I'm, it pizza I'm, pockets? No, it's just olives. I'm weird like that. Olives doesn't have a theme song. It does not. But you can think of one. Olives. No, it's got <laughs> to be. It's got to be different. From the <laughs> yeah, pizza I, was, I was trying to sing it like the pizza pocket song. Olives in my mouth. I don't know. <laughs> Well, there's no way we can't take that out of context. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> In the meantime, tell me about Hannah Edwards. <laughs> okay, well, Hannah Edwards uh, liked, <laughs> she, <laughs> on SoundCloud, she had liked uh, my song Crush. And I just, and uh, every so often, I'll just click people who follow me or like my stuff. And I'll just like check out their page for whatever reason. I do that with pretty girls on Facebook. <clears throat> exactly. See? <laughs> it's, re it's referred to as face creeping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't sound as cool when it's put like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. So I was I was checking out her page and I was just like seeing, listening to her. Some She has her own songs on there. Check it out, everyone. Hannah Edwards, SoundCloud. Uh, but she has some like acoustic stuff on there. I was just blown away by just her voice, just like the way she sounded. And I was like, OK, I was like, well, I'm just going to go on a limb and ask her to collab because I, I, I didn't want to use any of the people floating around the scene. I think I'd like you to name names. Would you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> It's always really cool, too, when a new artist collabs with voices I haven't heard. Right. Because for me personally, um, I just really like synthwave. I like electronic music. I just like keyboards. Right. I like electronic sounds. But I don't, I'm not necessarily beholden to like everything has to be just so because it's like this is how it sounded in the 80s. Right. And when artists come up with like they still got like electronic music, but the vocals aren't what you would say, you know, cliche 80s vocals. I think that's right. totally cool. When I first started in the scene, people... We're just making music for other producers. You know, it's like, oh, let, let's make a tune and show it to all my other producer friends and they'll think it's cool. And then I mm -hmm. move on and make more tunes. It's like, well, what about like, and, and this, I guess this kind of goes back to what I was saying before about marketing, where I feel like people can't really, like they're not, 
not everyone, but a lot of people don't quite understand the idea of marketing and like how they can market themselves and their sound to like outside people who aren't just nerds who love 80s stuff. Yeah. Because like you can have an 80s influence in your music and not sound like elevator music. Then we can get into talking about Vaporwave and all this other stuff that sounds very niche. I mean, I feel like people are so afraid to like bring a modern twist to their stuff. It's a twofold thing happening. It's interesting because the synthetics community as a community is a pretty nurturing. There's a lot of positivity there, which is nice. And obviously, when you put yourself out there on a bigger scale, you risk hearing things that aren't so nice. Right. When you're in the synthetics sort of message boards and stuff, I mean, it's all people who are very pro 80s and electronic music. Right. So naturally, you know, when a new artist comes along, like here's some tracks, you know, everyone's very positive and, you know, and that's, exactly. that, that is the community that um, Rick Shithouse yes. <laughs> has nurtured because, you know, he likes those tunes and he wanted to support this thing. And so in, in that respect, it's cool because it's very supportive. Right. And you meet a lot of nice people who are very supportive and stuff like this. On the flip side, obviously is sometimes it's almost like people are closed off to the idea that, one, not everybody likes this type of music, but there is, I think, a lot of people who really would if they just knew where to get it. Right. But like not just that people don't like the music, but that people can't... Well, you're right. People can't access it, but people... All right, let me take an example. M83 is an example band that has a very like retro-sounding sound to a lot of their stuff. Not, not all their stuff, but like to a lot of their stuff. And they're, they're huge. I mean, they'll like sell out stadiums. I guess my point is that like you can have that retro sound and not be boxed into this very specific genre. You can also kind of expand and make stuff for out. You know, so so for me, for instance, part of the reason why I'm trying to push into the chiptune territory. Part of the reason is because not only do I like video games and those sounds, but like there's a whole other audience that listens to chiptune music who I can be showing my music to, and they can check it out. You know, that's just expanding my fan base. And I think that obviously that's what happens when, you know, artists start meeting people who are kind of outside of the thing, but sort of bring them in in certain way. I mean, you know, I felt that way when I listened to like Sunglasses Kids EP and he had fa like, you know, I'd never heard the boy and Sister Alma and he got, you know, them doing vocals on a track and it just immediately brought a thing like, oh, wow, this feels new and fresh, you know, that. Right, right, right. That's the idea. Like you just need like a fresh outlook, whether it's bringing different people, like different vocal artists in or just trying to trying to do something that's not straight like everyone else. Like it's OK, like if you have a certain sound, but like make it your own, because if, if you listen to a Mitch Murder track, like you can tell it's Mitch Murder. You know, like if you listen to Perturbator, like you can tell it's Perturbator. It's, it's one of those things where I feel like, I mean, obviously that has to do with the, the instruments that they use. But like, I'm not going to lie, like I, I can't really tell the difference between a lot of these other artists that kind of pop up. And there are so many now that I, I can't keep track of, you know, I mean, like back when I first entered the scene, like there weren't, I mean, like, there were a lot of artists, but like it's exploded since then. I mean, exploded. There is kind of a homogenized sound. I mean, like, again, it's like, it's like a lot of art though. Like a lot of people, w when you're in sort of a welcoming community and people try things out and maybe, you know, their, their first thing they come out with, it is sort of them kind of doing you know, like their version of another artist. And sometimes it takes, right, it takes exactly, time. Yeah. The strongest artists in the scene are, you know, still producing and still producing quality. And it is nice when someone has a distinctive sound, like you say, I mean, like Perturbator definitely has a sound, right? Sometimes I will listen to a track for the first time and have to look at who made it. It's like, right. if, if you're listening to a mixtape, Oh, and then yeah. you're just like, who is this? And you know what I mean? And yeah. it, sometimes an artist will pop up where you recognize their style. And for the most part, I do have to like look up who it is to get a sense of, of who, 
who actually made the song, which is why yeah. vocals is a huge thing. Exactly. You know what I mean? Vocals like, is, exactly. Yeah. So I think people kind of forget that, like, when you're making instrumental music, you need to kind of figure out something that kind of defines your sound apart from others. E- like, even if it's small, Betamax, for instance, he loves to use the one synth. I'm not sure what it is, but it's one synth that's like he always solos on. You hear it and you're like, oh, that's Betamax. Like, it's, like, it's just a very distinctive sound he has. Right. You know, and like, it's, but it's something that simple can like give you that sound. I just feel like people could maybe learn from that. Like it really comes down to to being able to put a part of yourself into whatever you're making too. Like and if if you can't do that, then you're just, you know, you're just like copying other things. I'm not sure if if you know this feeling, but like specifically for me, like when I'm trying to write a song, I'm like really into like a certain song at the moment and I'm like listening to it a lot and I'm like, "Oh, I like I'd, I'd love to do something like this or whatever." And then I start to like create stuff that kind of sounds like it and i'm like oh yeah it's, it's, it's getting there it's getting that sound and then like i and i keep making it and, and then like it gets to a point where i'm like oh well this sounds just like this song but it sounds really boring and bland and soulless and it doesn't sound like my stuff at all <laughs> so then i have to like erase it and go back and redo it and kind of put my own sort of like touch on it and if i don't do that i don't feel like comfortable yeah no i mean it means you care <laughs> right but i mean that's, you know i think also too there's a difference between people who actually have like a musical background right that's that's a big thing i notice you know when it comes to like song structure and stuff like that right you know if people are serious about it and they do stick with it then you really that's how you know you sort of form your identity yeah musical identity anyways and i exactly, think that's yeah. That's important. So I think that's part of it, too. That's part of the issue with the sort of homogenized kind of sound is that, you know, with synthetics, it's a lot of new artists. You know, a lot of people, I don't want to say it's easy to make electronic music, but I mean, it's it's definitely it's easy to pick up. Yeah. And it's nice that the community is open enough to be kind to these people and not like, you know, if, if you just put your song on YouTube and, and it's some mediocre electronic music, you're just going to get a lot of thumbs down and people saying you're an asshole. Oh, yeah. And, so th- that aspect is nice because I mean, you know, I never had this thing like I um I have found files and this is insane uh, of like Fruity Loops files that I made in like 19. Well, I have files that date back to 2000. Okay. And I have songs older than that because I used to make them on Fruity Loops too. And it was like a demo of Fruity Loops. So I couldn't save. Uh, okay. Nice. All I could do was make a song right then and there, render out a, a wave file. And then once I closed Fruity Loops, I lost my work. Wow. And because I was a kid, I was like in high school. I was just like making right. these, these shitty songs. And I've never had, I've only made two songs that I've put out there as, and they're jokes. Like to me, I like doing that. It's like sort of safe to hide behind kind of joke songs. Right, right, So right, I make yeah. songs about titties and Vincenzo Salvia and stuff. <laughs> You know, it's nice because people are all, you know, they're very nice, you know, like, oh, that's great. And I'm sitting there like, okay, I know it's not great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I know what it is. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's crazy that you just like write the song and then have to. That's that's kind of cool, though. Because I feel like you probably write totally different songs having that. Yeah. Although, so too, that was like when I was young and I didn't know song structure. Like pretty much all of my songs were always just building like there was never a chorus and then a right, moment, of, right, you know, right. chorus verse. It was always just like it would start with a beat and then a synth would come in and another one would come in until by the end of the song, there was like 80 things on top of each other. Yeah, and yeah, just yeah, yeah, yeah. Nonsense. <laughs> in your track running to you, is that you on the vocoder? Yeah. You said you were kind of burned a bit on doing your own vocals, right? So was that was that you hiding? 
Sort of. It was actually more of me discovering because that was the first song I wrote in Logic ever. I discovered Logic after like using GarageBand for my first album and my next EP. And mm -hmm. I was just toying around with stuff and I had discovered, I was like, oh my goodness, this thing has a vocoder. That's so cool. And then like I turned the vocoder on, I was just toying around with stuff and I, I had written this random like bits of stuff in the in Logic or whatever, just as my first kind of test track. And it was it was running to you it was like it was like the instrumental to running to you. And then I ended up throwing down this line. You're still the one I run to just like on top of it, just to test out the vocoder. I was like, oh, this sounds so cool. And I just like I liked it so much. that I just wanted to like do a song. time I sort of was getting into music outside of the synthwave scene artists like Gold Room you know or like St. Lucia stuff like that where it's like these artists that aren't necessarily pinned as 80s or whatever and I started to notice recurring things where it'd be like oh like they only have one little vocal bit or one little part that they might like chop up or they might just repeat or whatever and so I was like oh well this that's kind of a neat idea and so I just I kind of wanted to like instead of trying to create this entire song using a vocoder which I'm not sure if I would really be into that because I feel like a vocoder is a very specific thing that like needs to be, I mean, it's kind of gimmicky. Kavinsky can do it because when Kavinsky does it, uh, he has an actual vocalist come in for the chorus, which is what hooks everyone. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like the vocoder just kind of like is a, is a neat little thing that can kind of build up to that or whatever. You know, so I was like, okay, well, I'll just go ahead and just repeat this line and kind of go through the song or whatever. So, I mean, I guess like in a way it was sort of like, oh yeah, it's me being comfortable, kind of like hiding, like I can do this and it's like fine. Um, but also I feel like it wouldn't have felt the same had I did my actual vocals. Cause I, I, I think at one point in time I, I tried it. I was like, you know, I'm gonna see how it sounds without the vocoder. But I'm like, no, it just, it, it has a very specific sound to it that I just really like for that song. And then also Pixel Passion, um, the song Pixel Passion with like the chopped up pixelated and like the O's and whatnot. Like that was another kind of thing where I was just sort of messing around with taking a vocal line, just kind of chopping it up and sort of like creating a melody out of that. And same with up, down, left, right. I, I just sort of kind of got into that sort of concept. I'm still trying to like maybe toy around with that with new stuff. But I mean, that's that's kind of what I'd like to do though. Like I, I like to, with every release, I like to try to kind of push myself artistically, push myself in terms of like my aesthetic and my sound. 
and to try to kind of find new territories and kind of create new things. I mean, like for me, like I think Pixel Passion sounds maybe similar, but I think pretty different compared to Art of Youth. And, you know, same with Beauty Queen, where I think Beauty Queen is like a straight synthwave album. Like there's really no video game influences to be found at all. Mm-hmm. Cause it's a very specific thing, you know? So, I mean, I, I try like to change it up and try to keep things fresh. And I, I'm also trying to take my time with my next release. Cause I feel like a lot of people sort of like rush things out and, and that's kind of like the last thing I want to do. <laughs> there's some artists that, uh, saturate the market <laughs> that's, that's, that's a very nice way of putting it and yes you're right i like to use those terms t- <laughs> i like to use those terms too actually and then meanwhile perturbator fucking takes like two years to put out his next one or whatever yeah exactly and look at set those bastards haven't put out their album and they i been... know <laughs> well perturbator was like he was talking to me because he gave me um he gave me a song that's going to be in rage and he was um he was like, hey, would you mind if I release this on my next album? And I was like, I was like, oh, yeah, sure, that's fine. I was like, I mean, just as long as you're not releasing it tomorrow or something. And he's like, oh, no, it's probably next year. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, no big deal. Cool, man. Well, we've uh, we've been talking for a while here, so we can probably wrap this up. Yeah. <laughs> you, you feel good about it? Yeah. Good luck with Rage. Oh, yeah, thanks. Is it done? What's What's left to do? You're in post, yeah. you were saying. Yeah, yeah. We, we just uh, we got done shooting two weekends or three weekends ago, and um, we're picture lock is due Monday. So we just have to start sound edit and getting the special effects in. Is there going to be many, like, digital effects, or did you try and do stuff practically? Uh, well, yeah. There are. It's minor. A lot of it's minor stuff, um, but, like a, like, a lot of it is also, like, we have one shot where it's, we have a miniature city being built. So like we have an exterior where it's like a miniature city, but we have to like digitally place the miniature city into the into the shot or whatever. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 We have stuff where like the main character's eyes glow. So like obviously like we need to do that in digi- like digitally. Yeah. 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 Our gunshots we have to add muzzle flashes because we weren't uh, like under school film laws. We can't like use. Um, yeah. Yeah. I you think know, they... like blank stuff like that. I remember. Yeah, we wanted to do like they told us we needed a cop present and it just yeah all these things like if you actually wanted to do. If you wanted to have blanks, like, yep. actually, yeah. they tried to tell us some bullshit that if, if, we, if we even wanted a gun, we needed, yeah. like, a police officer A police present. officer there, yeah. Well, we actually had, um, quick story, we actually had, a few years ago, this group of students went out to shoot, and they were shooting in, like, this mini-mart or whatever, and they informed the police, like, hey, we're shooting with guns in this place, blah, 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 blah. They're like, okay, cool. And then someone forgot to tell the officer on duty that day. Oh. O- officer shows up, and he thinks it's a holdup. And he shows up and like draws his gun on the filmmakers like during their shoot because like they oh, had so like, fake guns. So now it's a thing where if you want guns at all and you're and you're within public view, like you have to have a cop there or whatever. But we were able to avoid doing that because all of our outside shots didn't involve guns. You definitely have to work those stupid things into the process. I know like yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think I made a video one time and it was like like an action thing. I don't know if I've ever posted it, but basically what I did was anytime we were outside, I would just have people like act as though they were holding a gun. But then whenever right. you actually saw the gun, it was a close up that I could shoot like in somebody's backyard. Right, right, kind right. Of thing. Yeah. So like that's when you see the close up of like the Uzi. But then in the wide shots, there people are just kind of like, you know, tuck the gun close to their stomach and they're just holding yeah. like, a, like a, bl- <laughs> a black piece of wood or something. So like yeah. if anybody. But even then, I think the law works. Where as yeah. long as someone thinks it's a gun, that's all that yeah. matters. So you yeah. could literally be running around town. If you're pointing a fucking stick like it's a gun and some old lady calls the cops, yeah. you're still just as, uh, you know, liable like under the law because it's like, well, they thought it was a weapon. Like, yeah, I'm pretty like, sure. Oh, yeah. OK, well, that's great. Yep. <laughs> terrible. Anyways, man, you have a you have a delightful day. All right. Yep. You too.
Alrighty, that was Arcade High. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please tune in to the next one. Just a reminder to send in your listener mail. Send it to the Beyond Synth Facebook page as a private message, and I will read it on the next episode for sure. We'll do something uh, special for the listener mail, and and if it goes well and if people like it, then maybe we'll uh, make it a regular feature of the show. Did I say that in the intro? I feel like I'm repeating myself. I'm really bad at doing this sign-off thing. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.